All right. Um, true to renewed tradition, we have um, just like really intimate questions we ask you to share with the person next to you. And so I, I give us like three minutes. Pick a sin that you struggle with in your life that happens semi-regularly that you also would be willing to share with someone next to you. And then um, why do you struggle with that sin? All right. So go ahead, look around, look for someone safe, and um, go, ahead and, go ahead and share. All right, thanks for sharing. I feel like you probably know, got to know someone next to you a little better. So one of our core values at Renew is we are God's family. Uh, last week, we actually talked about a core value of being empowered by the Spirit and listen to, listening to His voice. God's family is a core value, I think, that has ran pretty deep for us. Uh, The first kind of little installment is be you, be loved, be transformed. And I think, you know, uh, we can't experience transformation without being loved. And we can't be loved without being authentic. And I think we have some really deep foundations that renew in this sense of being able to be authentic with who we are, with our strengths, with our weaknesses, not having to put on a mask when we come on Sunday or or just, uh, you know, give this superficial sense of spirituality. And I think a lot of our church has felt loved as well, that we are a family who's been willing to embrace each other in our weaknesses, in our sins, being able to journey with each other. And now as a leadership team, uh, we're really praying for transformation. So I think one misconception of love is that we are okay with people being where they're at. Like if Johnny shared his sins with me, I'm just like, oh, I love you, man. I'm just, I'm here with you. And there's not this desire for someone to be more like Jesus. There's not this desire to be more holy. And instead of being a priest or a prophet to him, I'm simply like another friend who is unconditionally accepting, but not really drawing him closer to Jesus. And so what we're praying for this year is that we would be God's family and that we would do this whole let's transform thing without losing that that sense of authenticity. And I think that's hard to do. I feel like a lot of churches can be stagnant in just be you. And a lot of churches can go to the transformation side and, and it actually look more legalistic and superficial instead of being able to maintain, like, this is where I'm at, and will you be with me here? And so we're, we're striving to do that. In the next two sermons, we're going to be talking about sin um, and how to pray um, in our sin life, how to pray not only uh, prayers of confession, but going deeper than that. And so this whole summer is spent on prayer, and, this, and we're going to really come down to what it looks like to pray in our sin. I actually had one sermon for this, but I divided it into two, just like the Hobbit. Um, So the next one's going to suck. But then the third one will be okay again. So the first thing we learn about sin, and this is the passage we're going to delve into in the next two uh, sermons, is when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I wonder if we've seen the correlation between sin and death. 
Because until we do, we're not really motivated to stop sinning. And I think one of the problems of us who've maybe grown up Christian is that we've, we've heard a lot of things be labeled as sin that aren't actually sin. And then we do it and we're like, that doesn't lead to death. And then we start questioning, like, does anything really lead to death? And I think as a church, we've stayed, we've done pretty good at calling sin, sin and calling not sin, not sin. Part of the reason why we go to Yard House after every small group. Um, But when we really look at our sin in its entirety, do we see death in it? And that's what um, Adam and Eve discovered, right? When they ate this forbidden fruit, they found death. And it wasn't immediate physical death. And that's not what this passage is talking about. Death can come in so many different categories. They experience death in their relationship with God as they're hiding from them, right? Usually God comes into the garden and they just run up for a hug but they're hiding. And when God asks, where are you? Why are you hiding? He's not just speaking of it locationally because he knows where they are. He's speaking of it almost as a wife speaks to her husband who feels emotionally distant, like they're sitting next to each other. But where, where are you? I feel like something's wrong. Adam and Eve experienced that with their relationship with each other. That at first they were naked and they felt no shame, but then they started covering up. They couldn't be as vulnerable anymore. They were afraid of being hurt. And then they ended up experiencing physical death as well. There there was this deterioration of their body. And so when we think about sin that leads to death, do we think about how our sin is leading to death in our relationship with others, in our relationship with God, and even in our physical bodies. When we think about gambling or, or being an alcoholic, um, do we think about how that can bring death to our family and friends? When we think about sexual addic- addiction or being judgmental or having uh, obsession with our body, have we seen it in terms of its entirety? When it's full grown, what does this really look like? If I walk all the way, my sin, all the way out, do I see the death that it can bring in all these different categories? Um, You know, I share this illustration uh, hesitantly, but it it just works so well. Once in a while, I think about sleeping with another girl, not Nina. And if you're a guy, you're like, yeah. And if you're a girl, you're like, oh, maybe. Or you're like, yeah, I kind of get that too. Uh, sleeping with another guy that's not your husband. And then now, you know, I've been practicing thinking about the full, the entirety of that. Like, what does that full grown look like? Like, if I were to actually give into that and, and have that realized and experience the pleasure of it, what does it look like the day after and the day after that? And to sit in front of my wife and to say, um, finally, not be able to handle the secrecy of it. And to say, dude, um, Nina, I cheated on you. And to think about like her tears and her anger and her hurt and how she would, would withdraw. And to think about my son and the distance that I would feel with him. And then to come up in front of our church, you know, and to say, I have to remove myself from the pastorate. And then to sit with my friends, each one of them, and to confess to them. 
I, I think we need to play out our sins a little bit more. I think we need to play out our fantasies a little bit more. Because when they are full grown, when we walk to its, its end and we finish the journey of sin, there's death in so many categories. And the things that our world glorifies and sings about and, and writes stories on that says this isn't that bad, um, I've seen it, and it's that bad. I've seen people give their lives, up their families and their jobs to all of the sins that God lists, um, even the ones we dismiss. I hope there's this deep conviction in our hearts that sin leads to death, and I hope that there's this desire as a community to rescue each other from death, that when we just gloss over sin, when we become judgmental instead of really confronting someone in love and, and building them, trying to walk them out of it, we're saying that I'd rather judge you and see you die than actually be your brother or sister in Christ. Or I'd r- rather have you like me and see you die than be someone who loves you and holds your hand and brings you before the Father and says, I'm committed to be with you in this space I'm committed to be with you in your one step forward and your two step forward in humility, in grace, in gentleness. And I'm committed to you when you take four steps back. That's what it means to be community, to love each other, to rescue each other. And then in verse 13, it says, let me jump to the final point. One of our final points. It's not God, it's you. Okay, when we sin, we need to own it. But this is what we tend to do. We tend to blame God or blame the people around us. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Um, It's not God's fault. (laughs) Can we say it like a hundred different ways? Um, and, And yeah, I think like maybe we don't say God is tempting me. But haven't we found ourselves in our sin blaming God sometimes? And if I were honest, I would say I can identify with that, right? I've been, I've sometimes pointed my finger at God and it's not new. Adam did this when God said, why did you eat? He was like, it's your fault for giving me that woman. And that was it. He just pointed and blame shifted. And when we sin, one of the things that happens after the sin that, that spirals us is Satan says, hey, blame God for that. It's not your fault. It's God's fault. It's not your fault. It's her fault. It's not your fault. It's your circumstances fault. And there's so much danger in that. Some of the, probably the most unhealthy people I've met are self-victims all the time. It's, it's, they victimize themselves. We need to be careful of that. So anyways, God doesn't tempt you. He's never been tempted by evil. Evil has no appeal to him. It's against his very character. And he doesn't tempt anyone. And um, here's some verses that talk about that. The next verse in James chapter 16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So there is a deception. That's why James says, don't be deceived, because there's someone, a deceiver, who's saying that God doesn't give good and perfect gifts that he gives evil, and that he tempts us to do evil. And how I've heard this is, I'll say, God, why did you make me like this? 
or I want this thing, right? Have you ever said that? Why did you make me uh, someone who's susceptible to alcohol? Why did you make me someone who loses my temper? Also, I've said, you, you know I can't resist it, right? Have you ever said that before to the Lord? Like, I fell, and, and even though I fell, why, God, would you place this in front of me? You know that I can't resist this temptation. And if you're a good Reformed person, why did you ordain this sin, <laughs> right? Obviously, God predestined everything, and he predestined me to sin, therefore I sinned. And um, if you think deep enough, I'm sure you've heard and at times been deceived and have blamed God or blamed others for your sin. But James makes it very clear that not only does he give us good and perfect gifts, but every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Every good thing in your life is because of him. And then he says, your father doesn't change like shifting shadows, right? Depending on the time of the day, the the shadow will shift. And I wonder if you've described God like that in your life. He was good here, but over here he left me. He was good here, but over here he, he let me go. He surrendered me to evil. He was good here, but over here he's gone or he's given he's put these temptations in front of me or he made my life hard. James said, God doesn't shift. His character stays the same. The way he, you experience his love then, he loves you in the same way now. The way you experience his grace then, he extends the same grace to you now. And then uh, Paul goes further in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And here are some takeaways I want us to have as we approach God and as we learn to pray in the place of sin and struggle in our lives. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I would suggest all of you put this to memory. I memorized that in, in high school and I've pulled it out of my memory bank like every other day. Um, but the first thing I see is that in 1 Corinthians is that, you know, your struggle and the sin that you're going through and the journey you're on, it's not that special. <laughs> you're not the only one. And that's why we need community. And that's why we need a community that's authentic. Because there's, I, can, I will bet money with you that there's someone else in this room who has walked your journey who is struggling with what you're struggling with, who you're thinking you shared your sin and then there's that other sin that you're really thinking about. And guess what? Someone in this room is thinking about that sin too. And I hope there's a sense of comfort here. And that's where our community, when we talk about being authentic community, that's what it looks like. That we talk about the other sin and we say, well, there's someone else in this room who's struggling with that other sin too. And how do we walk together in it. There's someone else in this room who has struggled with that other sin for 30 years and found some victory, a lot of victory. And how do I ask them to journey with me and show me the next step? But here's how we can pray. It says, and God is faithful. He will not uh, let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I think the first thing we can pray is to pray the faithfulness of God in our situation. You know, oftentimes we learn as Christians falsely 
that God loves us and is with us when we're good, but when we're bad, when we're struggling with sin, when we've fallen into sin, that God just kind of walks away, that he leaves us ashamed and alone. And maybe, some, maybe we've picked that up from our parents, right? When, our, when we're good, our parents give us hugs, but when we're bad, we're isolated into our room, and somehow in isolation, guilt, and change, we're supposed to be a better person. <laughs> but that's not how our Father operates. When he says he's faithful, it means he's with you all the time. It means he's with you when you're doing your best worship set, but he's with you when you're throwing a tantrum, when you're looking at things you're not supposed to look at, when you're gossiping. And it's only when we know God is close to us in those hard moments that we can be healed and freed in them, that we can experience him in it. If we're alone in our hard moments, then all we have is ourselves to battle out, right? But if we can start picturing our, most, our moments of deepest temptation and say, God is there too, holding us, rooting for us, giving us a way out, then we can tackle those moments with courage. When you envision your darkest moments, is God faithfully there with you? Or are you alone? You have a father who says, I am faithful. I'm there in your depression. I'm there in your anxiety. I'm there when you feel alone. I'm there in your worst sin. I am faithful. I never leave you. I'm with you. One of the first things you can pray in sin is, God, you are here too. One of the first things I... I would suggest you to pray in your sadness and your hurt is to say, God, you are here too. And let me just feel you here and know that you are faithful. The second thing it says is that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Not only does God not bring temptation to your life, he limits the temptation that is brought to you and he customizes it to you. Isn't that cool? He knows how much you can bear, how much patience you have, how much resilience you have to sin. And he says, I'm going to cap it off right here. And so when you approach these moments of temptation, you can know that God has tailor-made, has not tailor-made it for you, but tailored it. He's, He's chopped off enough of it so that you can overcome this temptation in, in the time you are tempted. And so whenever we face temptation, there's a sense that, man, God, you have made me strong enough for this. And if I depend on you and I'm, if I'm aware of your presence and ask you for help, we can battle this out together. We can find victory at the end of it. If, you're, if you see temptation coming your way and you just kind of like roll over and like, oh, it's too big, you know, then, you know, think about this verse a little bit more. God doesn't give you any temptation beyond what you can bear and lastly he says that he will provide a way out so that you can endure it I hope that in those moments of temptation you would search as you're aware of him as you believe that he doesn't give you anything beyond what you can bear you would also be searching and searching in those moments of temptation, searching for an exit, searching for a way for God to bring you out into freedom, into victory, into into more strength. 
He is faithful and he'll give you a way out so that you can endure it. Um, maybe we'll stop here today and we'll continue it next time. We're actually going to do some drawings next time of icebergs. So that's exciting. Um, would we just spend <laughs> two minutes and just pray for each other? I think that's something we really value at our church, to pray with the person next to you and to pray whatever sin they profess, whatever circumstance that leads them to the sin, could we just pray this verse over them? That God is with them in their sin. God is with them even when they're acting and and decided to sin. And God is with them in the aftermath of their sin and your sin. God is faithful. Can we also pray over them that this temptation they are able to bear and also that there is a way out? Can we just pray that over each other today? And after that, after you pray for each other, I would like you to stand up and go ahead and take communion together. And remember that we are able to have God with us and have a way out because Jesus died on the cross for us, right? That's the cornerstone of our Christian faith, that all this is possible, us being able to fight sin and have victory over sin is because we have a Savior who died for our sin and who was victorious in his life and gives us his righteousness and his victory. And another beautiful part is that, man, we fall short. And sometimes, even though God's faithful, even though there's a way out, even though it's not, it's not beyond what we can bear, we still sin. And guess what? Jesus forgives us. And so as we take communion, we remember that in our failure, he is still faithful and he forgives us. So will we pray for each other this passage? And then will we take communion together and remember Jesus' forgiveness and, and how he gives us another chance for victory this week? in this moment. God, we're so thankful for our brothers and sisters in this room. And I pray that we would lean on each other and point to you today. That we would speak your truth over each other because we need it. Because there's a deceiver that says God is unfaithful. There's a deceiver that says you aren't strong enough. This is too much for you. And there's a deceiver that says there's no way out. And so as a community, we speak against that as prophets for each other through your word um, in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and go back to your groups and pray this verse over each other. We're going to keep it up for a few minutes.